time to start. Hey, let's go ahead and get started. I've got so much ground to cover, guys. I am, I'm, I'm going to bring you what is the most important lesson I've ever given you. So if you people want to stay at the back for that, that's fine. I understand. I <laughs> yes, I chopped it off myself. I stood in the mirror and I went, oh, let's see. It was dirty when I did it, too. You know, I didn't even, I didn't even bother washing it. I know. And then, I know, and then as I was curling, I was like, whoa, I got some long stuff. So yesterday morning, I was fixing it, you know. You know why? I understand that people have to have stylists. If people ask me, where do you get your hair done? I say, I do myself, but you can go to Yvonne. She's great. <laughs> Because I have had people before ask me, will you cut my hair? I say, oh, sure, but realize, you get what you get. I'm not licensed or trained. You decide. Yeah. And they'll go, oh, never mind. <laughs> and, I, and I always say, and I don't charge anything, so you also get what you pay for. Right. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be glad to do either one. Brain surgery, heart surgery, doesn't matter. <laughs> no skin off my teeth, right? Okay, let's start this morning. Father, we thank you for your day, God. We thank you, Lord God, for every blessing that you bestow upon us, Lord God. I pray that you would open our ears to hear, heart to receive today, Lord God. I ask, Lord, that you would just endow us with supernatural anointing and revelation. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, into this place right now. And I ask, Lord God, that you would begin to encounter your people again. That we would experience, Lord God, the power of the resurrection in our life, Lord God, when we come to the full realization that the cross is our place of a new day, in Jesus' name. All right, we're going to turn to, I didn't take prayer requests because I don't have time. I don't have time. Y'all be all right. Okay, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. Okay, um, we're going to go to Second Kings. And we're going to go to the 13th chapter. And I'm going to read the entirety of the 13th chapter. And um, I just want you, I'm going to read it out of the ESV. So I'm going to go fast. I may skip portions of it, but I just think it's important that you get the entirety of this. 2 Kings 13, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. This is during the time of Elisha's ministry. In the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Ahazerah, the king of Judah, Okay, now, you have to know, we're not going to talk about Judah today, but we're going to, and Kings always parallels Judah and Israel, right? Because they split after Solomon, under Rehoboam and Jeroboam. So Kings always takes you through the northern kingdom, which is called Israel, where its capital is Samaria. It also takes you through the southern kingdom, Judah, whose capital is Jerusalem. Okay, so every time you're reading Kings, you have to know that. So in the 23rd year of Joash, the son of Azura, the king of Judah, Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, began to reign over Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 17 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He did not depart from them, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel." Now, just that the sin of Jeroboam, Jeroboam, whenever it split under Solomon's reign, at the end of Solomon's reign, Rehoboam was Solomon's son. Solomon's son did not have the wisdom that his father had. And so under his reign, he allowed the kingdom to split because he put too much taxation on the people. 
And um, this guy by the name of Jeroboam, Jeroboam was the chief builder for Solomon. And so he had a lot of clout and power, very outspoken and well-known man. And so he stepped in and he took Israel and 10 of the tribes into a split, right? Just like a church split, but it was a kingdom split. And so Jeroboam did not want his 10 tribes that he ruled over to go to Jerusalem where the temple was at. Solomon's temple was still standing in Jerusalem, and that was the center of all worship in Israel, correct? And so he was afraid that his people now under him, if they made the pilgrimage to Israel, which was, which was prescribed under the law three times a year, Passover and Pentecost and then the in-gathering and you know, the feast that they were supposed to go and worship, he didn't want them to go there because he was afraid of what? Rulers are often afraid of losing their people that they won't come back and that while they're there, they'll, you know, a coup and, you know what I'm saying, it, would just, it just wouldn't be good. So he's like, this is what we're going to do. Since we are covenant people and we need to worship God, we're, gonna, we're going to um, we're gonna have a place in Samaria that you can worship and do just the same thing that you could do in Jerusalem. Sounds right, right? Or does it? So he built two altars at, um, in Samaria. In high places. They were called the, it was a high place. And they're saying, see, you don't need the temple. You don't, you don't need the house of God. You don't need to go there. You could stay home and listen on Facebook. You don't have to. You don't have to. See, this will be so much more convenient. And there's lots of people who live under that paradigm. You can look around you today and see that. You can, it, yeah, because the God of convenience is the God we serve because we think that God is cool with whatever, however he is not. When you read through the word of God over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, it says, but they did not remove the high places. You know what that's talking about? Right here. No one bothered because convenience is such a convenience. But it's not obedience. So let's just move on. I just wanted you to have that for context because you'll see it throughout the word of God over and over and that'll just give you the understanding of that. And so Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, which he made Israel to sin by building those altars, he did not depart from them. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he gave them continually into the hand of Hazael, king of Syria. God gave them to their enemies continuously because they chose a life of compromise over obedience. He lifted the guard. Oh, he lifted the protection. Y'all getting this? It's so good, isn't it? Okay, so he brought them, King Hazael, king of Syria, into the hand of Benadad, the son of Hazael. Just for information's sake, Benadad is the son of fierceness. That's what his name means, the son of fierceness. Hazael named him the son of fierceness. What is Hazael calling himself? Yeah, okay, so you know, these are bad dudes, right? Okay. And uh, then Jehoahaz sought the favor of the Lord, and the Lord listened to him. Ah, oh, can somebody think God is kind? And he listened to him, for he saw the oppression of Israel and how the king of Syria oppressed them. Therefore, the Lord gave Israel a savior so that they escaped from the hand of the Syrians, and the people of Israel lived in their homes as formerly. Nevertheless, they did not depart from the sins of the house of Jeroboam which he made Israel to sin, but walked in them. He didn't remove those high places. And the Asherah was also 
the Asherah also remained in Samaria. And Asherah was a, was a idol to the goddess where they would, you know, you know, burn your kids for good crops. Sacrifice your children. Sacrifice your children for convenience. I've never heard of such. Okay. For there was not left in Jehoahaz an army of more than, now listen to this, for there was not left to Jehoahaz an army of more than 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 footmen. You're supposed to, he's given you an artillery count of their standing army. He wants you to know they have been weakened by what? What have they been weakened by? Compromise, disobedience. That's what's weakened them. Okay, and so we move on, and he tells them, he names how many footmen and how many chariots they had. And it says, for the king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like dust at the threshing, which is also very interesting because the anointing, the Bible says, destroys the yoke. Now, that word destroys, it means to grind to powder like dust. So the anointing is supposed to break the yokes and grind the yokes to powder like dust. Isn't it interesting that the enemy that raised up against Israel because of Israel's compromise came in and ground their strength to dust? Compromise. Like dust at threshing, now the rest of the acts of Jehoahaz and all that he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So he's saying, go there and read the rest. So Jehoahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in Samaria, and Joash, his son, reigned in his place. In the, 50s, in the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, he's 37 years old, and Jehoahash, the well, okay, this is where it gets confusing. There are two kings now sitting on the throne, and both of their names. The Judean king is named Joash. The Samarian king is also named, he's named Jehoahash, but they shorten it to Joash. So this gets confusing, but just know we're talking about Israel. But they always name who's at Judah. Joash is at Judah. Jehoahash, the son of Jehoahaz, began to reign over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned 16 years. He also did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, which he made Israel to sin, but he walked in them. I mean, the repetitiveness of there is supposed to clue us in that compromise is not cool with God. I mean, it's repetitive all through the Kings and Chronicles that he might, and, and other places, he, okay, fought against, now, now the rest of the acts of Joash and all that he did and the might with which he fought against, um, a might, he's fought against the, the Judean king. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles? So Joash slept with his fathers and Jeroboam sat on his throne and Joash was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. Now what we just did there, I read that to you because I wanted you to know we've just finished with Jehoahaz. But the way the Bible often is, a Hebrew writer was not concerned with chronologi- chron- chronological. Thank you. chronological order. They told things in order of importance. So sometimes when you're reading the Bible, it gets really confusing because they'll just finish out something and then pop something back in to the chronology that you're like, what are we talking about now? That's what we're fixing to do. We're fixing to pop something back into that chronology because that's what Hebrew writers do. Okay, so it says, now... When Elijah had fallen sick with the illness for which he would die, Joash, the king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him crying. Now, y'all see, we're going back in and telling a story about the guy who we've already, he's already dead, but he's not dead at this point. This is what happened in his life. We could say it like this, but while Joash was still living, that's how we would do it. 
So Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying. So Elisha is laying sick in the bed, and he's going to die from this illness. The author tells us he's going to die. Not, it's not a prophetic word. He's writing it after the fact. He died. And so he's going to die from this. Now, he's sick unto death. And now the king, Jehoahaz, also known as Joash, comes in, and he says something. He says, my father, my father, and the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Does anybody, has anybody ever heard that statement before? I'm asking for responses. Nope. Elijah. Whenever Elijah, yeah, see that, that was, he was quoting Elisha. Elisha's laying in the bed dying. The king of Samaria comes down, or Israel, he comes down, whose capital is in Samaria, comes down to visit the man on his deathbed. Y'all got the picture? And he walks in the door, and when he sees the prophet, the anointed prophet of God, with the double portion anointing of Elijah on him, whom he followed Elijah, he, Elijah brushed his mantle across this man laying dead in his bed, about to die in his bed. And the mantle so provoked him that he said, I'm going to follow you. Elijah said, Call your jets, man. I didn't do anything to you. See, but you think that God is going to fish you out and knock on your door and just bear up under all your crap. Now, I don't, there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who hope to go to heaven when they die and those who hope to have heaven on earth while they live. I am the latter. And so... As we look at this, some people just want to scoot in by the skin of their teeth. You know, as Charles Finney said, he said, The carnal man prefers heaven to hell, but he prefers the world most of all. And so we have this going on right here today. And we look at this, and so he walks in, and Elisha's laying there. He received a double portion. He rolled up the mantle. He said, where is the Lord? But before he said that, whenever the, the chariot was coming to take Elisha, Elijah away, he didn't see death. He didn't die a natural death. I personally believe he will be one of the witnesses who comes back in Revelation. He and Enoch is what I believe. The two men in the Bible who never saw death. It is appointed unto man once to die. In Revelation, they will both be slain by the Antichrist and their bodies will lay in the street for three days. And then God will resurrect them. That's going to get some attention. But before that, they will be given the power of God to actually breathe fire from their mouth. I don't know if that's literal or figurative. It's going to be cool either way. You know? <laughs> it's going to be cool. Just stay tuned. It gets good. And so here we have this man of God who, who saw Elijah the father of the faith taken in a chariot. And when he saw him being taken up in a chariot raptured, if you will, he said, my father, my father, and the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Right? Yeah. And then when Elijah disappeared, his mantle, can you just see it floating down from the sky? Just floating down, and it dropped on the ground. 
And so he went and picked up the mantle and he rolled it up, the Bible says, Elisha did. And he went to the Jordan. See, they crossed out of the promised land onto the other side, into the wilderness. And Elisha said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And he smote the Jordan. He touched the mantle to the Jordan. And it does what? It just stood on end. And he walked back in. And Elisha had asked for a double portion anointing. He wasn't just asking for more for his own sake. A double portion anointing was the anointing of the firstborn son in a family. He was given a double portion anointing because he had doubled the responsibilities. See, many of us, we want so much from God, but we don't want to take up the same yoke of the responsibility. We want a double portion, but we don't want the responsibility. The older son was responsible for caring for his female sisters, for his whole family, for taking care of everything. So it stands to reason. Why would the father give him twice as much? He had twice as much to pay. So he... The king walks in, and what is when he says that, what in turn? He knows what he's saying. Elisha knows what he's saying. Everybody who's reading this, who knows the word of God, knows what he's saying. What is he saying? He wants the double portion. The king has walked into the room of the man of God, and he's saying, I want to be the successor of your anointing. We've got a king walking in who's anointed king, and he's walking in and he's asking for the prophetic anointing in addition to the kingly anointing. How many of you think God would be willing to do that? All day. All day. But let's read on. And Elisha, he cried before him, and Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. And when he said to the king of Israel, Draw the bow, and he drew it. And Elisha said, and he laid his hands on the king's hands. Y'all remember in the Kleenex box, some of y'all. And he said, Open the window eastward. And he opened it, and Elisha said, Shoot, and he shot. And Elisha didn't go, Shoot. He said, Shoot. You know, different kind of shoot. And he shot. And the Lord's, he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow, arrow of victory over Syria, exclamation point. He said it a lot more exciting than I just did. Find my place. Y'all see me read without my glasses, don't y'all? It's a miracle. For you shall fight the Syrians at Aphek until you have made an end of them. What's he going to make of the Syrians? Now let's just, let's, just, let's just take for a moment what's on the table here. Who can tell me today who the greatest enemy of Israel is? Syria. What does Syria, the leader of, of Syria, often say on record? I will annihilate Israel. We will push them into the sea. And we will annihilate the great Satan. That's y'all. America. This is the... Now, what, what's on the table here? How many generations, Mike? Just nations and generations. So you think he thinks at stake? When you choose to compromise because it was just easy, you don't know what's at stake. You don't know. You think it's just you and your little situational ethics. It's not. 
Because you don't, no man is an island. The old novel of the 60s. So let's go on. I, if this feels hard, good, I'm doing it right. You know what? I think it's not offend yourself. I think it's just offending yourself. I think it's when it comes down to a place where you feel like you're inconvenienced, that's where you draw the line. That's where I think that you obey to the point where obedience no longer feels objectionable to you. And then you come with another route and you say, well, God understands my situation. I know, y'all tell me this. I talk to people face to face and they tell me about their circumstance. They're living with a man. They're not doing this. They're doing that. We're this. We're that. We have a situation. You know, they can't get divorced. We can't get divorced. No one. But we're, you know, we're, we're living in adultery. And you know what they say? They always tell me this. Always. Bar none. God understands my situation. You know what I do? I go, you do you, boo-boo. As for me and my house. I mean, I, I mean, just you go there. It's because it, it pays the bills that day. Yeah. And never mind the future. Look, I'll tell you from personal experience. Yeah. Timothy and I were I got to pull my pants up, y'all. Sorry. We were shacked up in the beginning. Shacked up. We had shacked up over here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Yep. Yeah, and when I'm saying that, sorry, y'all, my pants are just all messed up. And when I'm saying that, I'm not trying to be, you know, judgmental. I'm just giving you the word. I don't, you know, you know, like I don't feel a need. I do not feel a need to put a Band-Aid on your skin knees. I feel a need to go, what were you doing when you got it, dummy? Quit doing it. You know what I'm saying? If, if you keep skinning your knee, you know what I mean? Every, everybody can fall in a ditch. But if you just keep running into the same ditch over and over, I'm just going to step back and go, when you did what you did, you got what you got, moron. Yeah. I mean, this is not meant to be hard. This is not meant to be hard. But sometimes I think that we're so blind, it takes somebody who's willing to say it hard before you get it right. You know what I'm saying? Okay, let's go on. I love y'all. Okay, so strike the ground. Okay, now he said, take the arrows, and he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck it three times and stopped. Can somebody say halfway there? He took it three times and he stopped. Then the man of God, the prophet, the dying prophet, who's talking to the man who said, I want to be anointed king, and I want to be anointed as your prophetic predecessor or successor. He said, okay, cool. There's your arrow over your entirety of the, of the Syrian army. You're going to completely remove them as an enemy in your life for generations. And I think somewhere along the way the king heard that and he went, uh, let's see. Let's see. Wait just a second. I think as he is looking at that, I'm finding it, y'all. Just give me a second. It's here. 
Oh, sorry. Oh, here it is. For there was not left to Jehoahaz. This is the dad of the man who's in the room with the prophet. There was not left to Jehoahaz an army of more than 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 footmen. I'm going to do what to who? With what? Yeah. You thought carrying the prophetic anointing was going to be cool. You thought it was going to be easy. You thought you were going to be powerful without any requirements on performance. Yeah, that's where you screwed up. So he said, take the arrows. And so when he took the arrows, he only tapped the ground three times. I think he only went halfway because he wasn't interested in fighting that war. He was interested in his life being better. And see, here's the, here's the issue with that. You're like, well, you're reading a lot into the text. Well, I have to read something into it because Elijah got mad. Right, and he told him, he said, he told him he's angry with him. He said, you should have struck it five or six. Is that what he said? He said, there's, I'm back into my text. He said, you should have struck it five or six times, and then you would have completely wiped out all of them. But now you're only, because you stopped it three times, you're only going to have a victory over them three times. Yeah, halfway. Because what, halfway is what? It's just, you see, but do you see what I mean? Why did he only go halfway? It sounds like a lot of our current Christians, Ray, that our politicians would be better if our actual pew dwellers were better. Better. Do you see my speech impediment there? You know what I'm saying? It would, if there was an actual vitality in our participation, See, this is what, this is what I, we have to awaken to willingness today. We have to awaken to willingness. He had the bow and arrow. He had, this action was required. He told him to pick up the arrows. He was, the resistance, he, he put that, he pulled that bow out, the resistance, and the prophetic voice went into, went to the, through the eastern window. It went into his future. It went into his tomorrow. It was solid. How many of you believe that that word was solid? So, what do I mean by solid? It was happening. It was happening. Why? Why was it happening? <clears throat> because God spoke it through the voice of the prophet. So the word of God is true. So it takes a resolve to say, God said it. I believe it. That ends it. But see, that's easy to say. But when I put the arrows in your hand and you look at your circumstance in light of what is the promise is, how many of you capitulate, capitulate, back off, turn around, sit down, stop, because you decide that God doesn't really mean that you have to do that much 
So we want the power of the anointing without the inconvenience of obedience. You see, I mean, but here's what amazes me when I look at this. I am so, I'm like, okay, Jehoash, I'm the, I'm the girl who reads Judges and gets mad. Y'all know that. I get mad every time I read it. Mike knows when I'm reading Judges because I get so annoyed. I'm annoyed with everybody when I read Judges. You know why? Every time I read it, I want Samson to do something different. And he won't. I want Gideon to do something different. I don't want Jephthah to add something to his promised victory by saying he will sacrifice the first person who comes out. I'm like, why are you doing this? You bunch of morons. But every time they make the same decisions. And I hope I'm the person who watches a movie 600 times. And when it gets to the part that I want them to make another decision, I hope against hope that they don't do it this time. I read this story, and I'm like, come on, Joash, Jehoahaz, Jehoash, we're going we're gonna to do this. You got those arrows in your hand, buddy? Come on. Come on, buddy. Come on. You're going to do it. I know you've done it three times every time I've ever read this, but you're going to go six or seven this time. I mean, if I could be a time traveler, this is where I'd go back to. Whip it good. <laughs> you see a problem, you must whip it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Don't be late. Okay. <laughs> okay, anyway, 80s girls. You know, <laughs> some of you are like, you're either young, I don't know. <laughs> okay. So I would go back to this place because so much rides on it. The action was required. So he's here, the king. The prophet is willing to, so that means God is willing to. The problem is, is that the king was never prepared for the service. He was never prepared. And that is where, in my estimation, <clears throat> we miss it day in and day out in the church. We are not prepared in service. <clears throat> the greatest thing that you can be in the house of God is a servant. It is. And, and service just means, you know how <clears throat> the easiest, you're like, well, I don't have any, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. I don't know. I, you know I'm in this church. I got to get a drink, y'all. I don't know what I'm supposed to do here, and da-da-da-da, I'm not being here very long, and so I don't know where to serve, and blah-blah-blah-blah. <clears throat> I get it. I get it. Let me tell you where to serve. With your attendance. Yeah. That's the greatest service that you can give. The minister, Mike, what's the greatest service someone can give you? They all want, Pastor, what can I do to help? Pastor, what can I do to help? Pastor, what can I do to help you? Show up. Show up. Uh, there's no, there's no grace. There's no glamour in that. I don't want to be a pew potato. You be a pew potato long enough, and the Lord will turn you into something else. I, we need. I'll turn you into French fries later on. But just, I need you to be a potato right now. You know, we can do a lot with a potato. Come on. Curly, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that is the greatest place to start in your service is just being faithful to sit there. Well, no one talked to me. I, then you talk to someone, wine bag. I don't know how to get involved. Use your two little feet 
and go to the information center and find an event and be there. That's how people get involved. The ones who don't have all these, you know, these insecurity hoops that everybody's got to jump through to make them feel good. What am I doing? Hold people up. You're doing great. I mean, sometimes I feel like church ministry is like weekend at Bernie's. You know what I mean? Yeah, don't notice they're dead. You're doing great serving. Here, you need this and this and this and this. It's like, it's like two-year-olds. What do you need to serve? Okay, okay, we're going to do a craft today. Here's your, here's your Play-Doh. Here's the cutouts. Here's this, here's this, here's this, here's this. Okay, you can do it, do it. I need green. Okay, let me go get that. Here, now serve. No one showed up. I don't care. That's just a little, there you go. There's a little crack into my world. Just be there. Just be there. But the king just popped in on the day of his death, or a few days before. I just show up at the deathbed, and I'll get the goods of God. I just show up. I just show up, pop in. But see, what's amazing to me is God was willing and God is willing. You know why? Because he's good. And he's merciful. And he's kind. And he's long-suffering. And he keeps covenant to a thousand generations. But the problem here is on the other side of the equation. The king wasn't prepared even for the goodness of God. He didn't know how to, he hadn't done the due diligence, so to speak. And he didn't know how to act when the opportunity was right in the room with him. Had he done his time in service like Elisha had done his time in service to Elijah, then when it came time for the succession, for the passing of the anointing, he would have been prepared in the service of the thing. So when he got there, he would have known what to do. The king didn't know what to do with the arrows because he didn't understand how the anointing operated. You're not prepared for the test. That's what I tell people all the time. You must be present to win. And so here he is. He's not been prepared in service. He's, he's this, we've got this, this timid, anointed king. I, there's nothing worse than a timid, anointed king. Timothy. God has not given you a spirit of timidity, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. I believe the king's lackluster participation was directly associated with his unfamiliarity with the prophetic voice and the realm of the anointing. When he got in the situation where the anointing could have been deferred or conferred to him, he didn't have a receptacle to receive it. I mean, I'm telling you, I have sat with this scripture for years. Years. I've walked in and out of the corridors of these lines. And it's just been recently that the Lord has shown me 
He was willing. Jehoash just didn't have any preparation. And his preparation, his lack of preparation was due to his lack of willingness. So we look at this. I want to read a quote to you from Watchman Nee. Today, the degree of the manifestation of God's power is governed by the capacity of the church. Just as at one time earlier when God manifested himself in Christ, so now God's manifestation of the ch- in the church is likewise circumscribed or limited. This time the limitation is by the church. How many of you are okay setting with the idea that God's power is limited by you? Then you're wrong. Now, it may not be comfortable to think about, but did God want to anoint him? I mean, did God know that he wasn't going to do it? Of course. He sees ahead in time. But you know what's so amazing to me is God never acts discordant with faith. No, according to his faith, by Christ's works. See, God sets outside of time. So when he's offering an anointing to the king, that the anointing that the king has not qualified himself for, this is not, his mercy is not based on how merciful he is to a king who he feels sorry for. His faithfulness to this king is based 100% on the covenant that he has forged from before the foundation of the earth with Christ. And so his faithfulness is based on he always acts in faithfulness to the covenant of Christ, which is the covenant of mercy, which is the covenant of good. That's hard for us because we live in time. God is not restricted by time. So when he offers something to a person that they do not deserve, he either has to be unjust Or he has to be a justifier in another work, which is the work of Christ. So he, outside of time, brings an offering into time based on what will happen in the fullness of time. See, and the faith of it is not based on anything other than God's faith in himself. He can't act contrary to faithfulness. He can't because the Bible says if you deny him, he'll deny you. If you reject him, he'll reject you. If you are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny. Now, now what I'm telling you today is is things that have taken me years to comprehend. And these pants are falling. Years. But... So, in this quote, today, God's manifestation of his power is governed by the capacity of the church. This is a fact. It's a fact. But what, this makes me ask the question, what makes up capacity? Well, I've come up with an answer for that. Capacity, in my opinion, has two parts. Y'all ready? It has ability and it has willingness. Now, on the ability side... The ability here, who was brokering, underwriting, providing the ability? In the destruction of Syria. Who was brokering the ability? Who was going to provide the ability? 
Because the ability was in the promise, right? It was already front-loaded into the promise. See, that's how I want you to understand a promise. A promise is as solid as today for your future. It's as solid today as it is in the future. It is done. That's what you have to understand. A completed work, it's done. You rest in the doneness of what is done. It is so done, it's done. You know what I'm... You stick a fork in it. It is done. I mean... It's over. When God spoke it, when was it done? When he spoke it. But we were going to have to follow the timeline to get to the place in time for what was done outside of time for we could get to the place of the appointment of time. And then ultimately, the mercy that was bestowed in this situation to a king who's so obviously unworthy is underwritten by something that happens that when the Son of God will come and he will finish the work, he will underwrite every single place of God's faithfulness that did not depend on human faithfulness he says anchor it all right here it is upon my faithfulness God made a covenant with himself yes he made a covenant with himself and he operates in the covenant according to his faithfulness not yours then you're like well why do I have to be faithful because you're not ever that a power and the 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 ability is there but until you understand how to appropriate the willingness, your capacity is always going to go. Pfft. See, the ability is there. God's supporting the ability. 100% of the ability is entirely underrated, underrated, underwritten by God according to his perfected, completed work in Christ. 100%. How much is completed in Christ right now today? Is it a good word? It's a good word because it's a God word. He won't renege. He can't. He's faithful. He can't be faithless. Okay. Why don't people then, with that kind of promise and that kind of ability, why don't they operate in higher capacity? Because they're not willing to do the doing to understand the appropriation of their appointment. Most, most of the people in here, you've had so many opportunities. That's what I think some of the tears in heaven are going to be about. God's going to unveil your missed opportunities. And how many generations? I don't want to be so unwilling to participate because I look through the eyes of circumstance. My promises are in the unseen. See, we look not at the things which are seen, but the unseen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are unseen are eternal. This king traded a temporary circumstance for an eternal reality. And he got marginal victories. I'm tired of marginal victories. He had no willingness. He wasn't ready when the opportunity came because he hadn't prepared himself in the, in the atmosphere, in the realm of the unseen. He didn't know how to recognize an opportunity when it came to him. The trouble with my participation, which will tap his ability, my participation will tap his ability and release or increase my capacity is not so much the prophetic voice. See, people all the time want a word. They want a word. I went to a, con- I preached a conference yesterday. And 
It was great. And the pastor at the conference is a, is a female pastor. She pastors a church in Dallas. And she came up to me and she said, I've got a word for you. I was like, cool. But she wasn't messing. She said, get your phone and push record. She gave me, she had two other women with her. They gave me the word for five minutes. Prophetic word for me for five minutes. And it was on. She was saying, when she started out by saying, I don't know if y'all were here last week, and the Lord spoke to me that he's bringing new wine. That's the first thing she said. She said, the Lord is bringing new wine to you. So I knew, we've got, okay, we're fixing this woman. This is not just somebody with a word. She's a, she's a person with a word, so confident in the word. She's like, you're going to want to get your phone out and hit record. You don't want to miss this. She started telling, I'm like, this is amazing. But you see, my, that's, there's a lot of capacity in what she said. There's a lot of opportunity in what she said. There's a lot of ability in what she said. But here's what it all comes down to. How far I achieve in that capacity has to do with my willingness. How I strike the arrows. How long I am willing. Am I going to be lackluster in my participation? Because some of the things, let's be honest, that she told me, I instantly looked at my army. You know what I'm saying? She said this, and I instantly said, ooh, yeah, I'm not good at that. Isn't that funny? I'm not, oh, I, oh, she said this. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not good at, oh, wow. And she said some things. I'm like, whoa. But I instantly started looking at my, I started comparing her word to my circumstance. And I said, oh, no, God, I'm smarter than this. I hope. Because I'm going to participate with it. I'm going to war with the, I'm going to fight with the prophetic word. That's what Paul told Timothy to do, fight with the prophetic word. Not fight against it, but fight with it as a weapon. So that every circumstance that comes to you that is contrary to the prophetic word, you, use, you take out the prophetic word as a weapon and you slay your circumstance. That's not what God said. This doesn't line up with what God... See, you're like, y'all are saying, some of you are saying, well, I need a prophetic word. You got a whole book of them. Yeah, you know what? I mean, yeah. I hardly ever get prophetic words like that. Hardly. I mean, like, this may be the first I've ever received in my lifetime like this. So if you're going to, if it's going to, if it's going to take that to get you in, you're not going to be ready. He's given you a whole book of prophetic words. You start, cut your teeth there. Learn there. Let, the, let those little places be your testing ground of your faith. You know, so many people, they're like, I want God to bless me indeed. And you won't even tithe. I mean, that's like kindergarten. Can you say rudimentary? You want to read the, uh, the, what is it, the Iliad and the Odyssey in Greek? And you don't even know your ABCs? That's what tithing is in proportion to the promises. It is so uber basic. Because it is the one place that you will capitulate every time. You'll say, I can't afford it. God understands. God understands my circumstance. Now you say tithing is, tithing, that's part of the law. It's actually before the law if you know your Bible. 
Abraham paid tithe to Melchizedek. See, you don't pay, when you pay your tithe, you're not paying your tithe to a Levitical priesthood order. Mike just preached on it. You're paying your tithe to after the order of Melchizedek. So every time that you pay your tithe, you're paying them to the priest who follows Melchizedek, who happens to be Jesus. So every time who, who lives, see, the, the contrast there is Levi died, Levi died, Levi died. You're like, yeah, Levi died, so I don't pay my tithe anymore. But now we've shifted the order of the priesthood to the order of Melchizedek, and he continues on. So every time you pay your tithe, you come into agreement, and you say, my priest lives. I don't know, it's just, that's what I'm going to do. What does tithe mean? 10%. It's pretty easy math. You say, well, I don't want to hear that, Andrew. I can't afford it. And the beat goes on. That's good. I'm not going to tell you you have to. I'm not going to send you a bill. You know what I'm saying? It's it's your choice. It's your choice. Huh? If it's quick, because i got a lot of room to cover, you better talk like you're fast. Oh, you're going to be on the microphone? Oh, Lord. Okay. Okay. Yes, my baby's on an hour. Oh, it's, this is going to be and quick, he was Ruth. Doing revival. And he had a couple rows of kids up front praying for him. So I'm standing behind one. He's 12, 13 years old. I really didn't know the story of this kid anyway, but I'm standing behind him praying. And he wanted to reach out to the kid in front of him. But he's not there yet. You know? And I'm watching him. And I'm praying. several times of stepping out, he stepped out. And he laid his hands on this kid and started praying. But Andrea, just what you're saying, we're blessed if we're obedient. And he was blessed. Absolutely. That kid's life. Yes. Nobody else could ever touch That's him. true. So as we look at as we look at Jehoahaz, or we look at Joash, I'm just gonna call him Joash because it's so hard to say Jehoahash. Joash. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> we look at the room, and how many people were in the room? I just read you all the account. How many people were in the room? Just two, right? Elisha was there, and Joash was there. But the Lord showed me the room was so crowded. And it was so crowded. He said it was so, so crowded. Because I, I didn't understand. Why did he not participate? Why? With just him and the prophet there, why? What was the problem? And the Lord showed me. He said the room was too crowded. I'm like, Lord, did you not read the story? <clears throat> he said the room was crowded and the Lord showed me. He said he wasn't in the room by himself. He said Jehu was there, his grandfather. Jehoahaz was there, his father. His history was there. His hab- or his heritage was there. His history was there. His own habits were there. His army was in the room with him. All of these things were basing. This is what he was basing his decision on. He was basing it on his grandfather, Jehu, who was man. You want to read some, a bloodthirsty king? You read Jehu. He was anointed to wipe out the, the entire family of Ahab. Elijah sent a prophet, <clears throat> handed him <clears throat> the anointing. He said, here you go. 
Imagine Elijah does this to you, Tim. Elijah, he's your, you're, he's, you're in his school of the prophets. You're just a, a lowling, flunky prophet, right? You don't have a name in the Bible. Here, this horn of oil, go to Jehu's house. Uncork, pull him into a room by himself. Uncork it and pour it over his head and tell him he's the next king of Israel. And when you anoint him, open the door and run. That's what it says in the Bible. Yeah. What are you thinking? <laughs> me now so he goes in and, and Jehu's with all of his men he walks in and he's the he's on assignment he's got his horn of oil hey uh Jehu could I have a word with you yeah back here it's private okay yeah he shuts the door behind him he uncorks the oil and he said the the spirit of the lord the prophetic voice has gone forth and you are the next king of Israel, and you will completely destroy, wipe out the entire house of Ahab. And he pours that oil on his head. And as soon as that flask is empty, he opens that door, and next thing you know, the prophet's running out. <laughs> yeah. And the king, Jehu, now King Jehu, he's been anointed. He hadn't been promoted. He walks into the room, and the guys are like, What just happened? That, well, he's got, he's got. <laughs> What happened? He said, oh, nothing. What do you mean? They're like, the prophet took off. <laughs> Something's gone on here. You're oily. What's happened? He said, what happened? Tell me. He said, the prophet just anointed me king of Israel. And they're like, done. And they started killing everything that moved. And I've thought about that many times. Many prophets want to step around and take up the offering and say, look at the word I gave. Wasn't that great? Yeah, God sent me. But what would have happened to that prophet? He would have been dead, D-O-A, dead on arrival. So he was trying to save him. And thank God the prophet didn't want to stick around and get cred. You know what I mean? The credit for the prophetic word. He ran. Jehu was a bloodthirsty individual. He's the one who, he went to Jezebel I mean, he scared, Jezebel was so wicked, she scared the pants off of Elijah. Literally. He goes to the castle and he says, hey, where's, where's Jezebel? And she painted up because she was a whore. And she painted up and she was probably beautiful. A Phoenician princess. And she looked out there and she said, Jehu, why don't we work together? He said, uh, next person that throws her over the wall, I won't kill and it was, a, it was a eunuch that threw her over. He was one that wouldn't be attracted to her, if you know what I mean. He wouldn't have been under her spell. He threw her over, and the dogs ate her body. And then he went and he killed, every, he killed Ahab. No, Ahab was already dead. He killed 70 sons of Ahab. He killed them all. This was in the room with him. But he didn't follow the Lord. Jehoahaz didn't follow the Lord. See, he wasn't, he had no, he had no experience with the things of God. That's why I want your willingness. If you're going to get your willingness to the place that you need your willingness, it's only going to be built by new experiences. Is this making sense? See, he was basing his willingness on his old experiences. You may have old, we all have old experiences. They are just disqualified 
before deciding the level of your willingness. You need to have new experiences in God and stop falling back into your old experiences and deciding your willingness to believe based on your old. I don't care about your abusive background. You're like, Andrea, that's harsh. I, I mean, I care. I care. You know, that's sad. Move, I mean, yeah, it's like, come, y'all see what I'm saying there? How long can you use that as a valid excuse? How long? How long? He's done everything for you. He's made you more than a conqueror, and you're still going to tell me about what a bad job you had growing up? I live with a man who was sexually abused and had, he was horrifically treated his whole childhood. He lives with this wife. You know what I say? That's not who you are. Get up, man up. Base your experiences on a new day, not on an old day. Get, yeah, get out of your The cross is a new day. I don't care about your failed marriages. I don't care how you screwed up your family. I don't care. You don't care, Andrea? No, I don't care because the victory that's been wrought in the cross is too good for me to stand here and try to pick apart your bad decisions. It's time to go. So if you think this is hard, it's only hard in love because your capacity for the promises is so diminished by your willingness to participate. And your willingness to participate is based entirely upon your old experiences. Yes. I want you to come back to the fact that the prophet stood up with the man who had not prepared himself in any way. And the voice of God was willing to offer a victory that he was unqualified for. Don't tell me God's not willing. He bases his faithfulness on the completed work of Christ. That's right. And you've got to get your reception tuned to the unseen realm and get out of the seen realm. And whatever it takes to do that. If you've got to turn the news off, turn the news off. If you've got to delete your social media, delete your social media. If you can't stop talking trash, then stick a sock in your mouth and put duct tape over your mouth and do what you have to do because you are killing your future. And not only your future, generations and nations. And we're dismissed. morning I'm just like oh man you're good God you're good man just, just we gotta be there doing it. That, and it's just you know and mine ain't gonna be as, as and I'm I'm gonna use part of this too because yeah, yeah. he's sitting there head up here you know it's like hey God that's real because you know just obedient service just, just you know even it's when it's when you're thank you so much for it's when you're it's when you're sitting there and nothing is qualifying you right and nothing you're not getting any rewards you're not getting anything you're not it's just you just feel like you're day in and day out just doing the same thing and you're not being faithful that's what's qualifying you right and 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 you know and and a lot of people want to um when they when they think about serving